He said, pray for the kingdom of God to come. Now, what are we talking about? This is a really good question from Luke chapter 11. We're going to study that in just a few minutes. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, my name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Janice. And thank you for joining us today on Bible Discovery TV as we discover the Bible. We are in the book of Luke. He is a Gentile writer. This is really good, a doctor. And as we study this, we're going to learn about what God is telling us today. Very important. We'll do that in about two minutes. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey. Well, back in Luke chapter 10, Jesus pronounces some woes on a couple of villages and cities. So we're going to be taking a look at those. Ryan? Okay, so according to Luke 11, the only sign Jesus would give to that, quote, evil generation was the sign of Jonah. So today, we're going to focus on that prophet. Very good. Look forward to that. And Janice? It's Friday. We have a wrap-up question anywhere from Mark chapter 15 to Luke chapter 12. Hope you're ready. Luke 11, 1 through 4. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Today we continue in the book of Luke. This is a, a Greek writer, a Gentile writer, who is uh, a fascinating person, a doctor, actually. And, you know, it is clear that prayer is very important to God. And not because we have to pray a certain way or a right way, but it's about being honest with God and inviting God into our lives, hearing God and being heard by Him communication. It's also important that we understand to give praise to the Lord. Now, being honest with him means being honest with ourselves about who we really are and what our sin is and how great he is and how faithful he has been to us in our lives. There are and will be times when we are so troubled in life that we feel like we have nothing to give, no praise to offer, no words to say. The amazing thing is that the Holy Spirit prays with us and for us. Romans chapter 8, 26 and 27 tell us that. In our reading today, Jesus finishes a time of personal prayer only to be asked by his disciples how to pray. Now, in response, Jesus gives them a now famous Lord's Prayer. As we go through it, let's try to keep our minds from drifting away from the well-knowing words. And let's listen to the power of the Holy Spirit speak to us about prayer. The Holy Spirit's going to talk to us today. These are his words, the words of God. 
And as we do that, I would say that take your Bible guide and turn to the page. And if you don't have a Bible guide, you can write to us or call us. We'll send you one another way. You can go to the BibleDiscoveryTV.com, click on it and get it. Um, and it takes you to a place where you can make a donation. Thank you so much for your donations. We really appreciate them. They tremendously help us. So uh, I, I pray that God would touch you and help you with all of that. Today is a very difficult time for everybody for lots of reasons, but we need to focus. And I can't think of a better day to talk about prayer than today. So let's pray. Father God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us as we study and as we look at the Lord's Prayer. This is something that many of us memorize and many of us know. It's kind of like one of those things in the West. But Lord, there is meaning in this prayer. Help us to hear it. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, a lot of people have taken this and a lot of people have expounded on it in sermons and all of that. And that's great. What we're going to do is take the words and we're going to consider what God is saying. Now, we're just going to do that carefully. And in the next five minutes, we'll just take go through it and listen to what the Holy Spirit says. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now, it came to pass as we were, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is fascinating because Jesus said to pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done, not our own. This is very important today in our democratic society because we're people who believe that we demand the future and we're going to get the right person in office and all that. Hold on a minute. Stop the bus. Back it up. We are talking about God, the creator of everything. We don't vote on God. We need to speak to the Lord as he told us to speak. He said, pray this way. Our father, many people have a difficult time because their fathers have abused them. But God is the heavenly father and he has the ability to overcome those feelings if we give them to him. And we say, our father who art in heaven, he's in heaven. Holy is your name. Your name is holy. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come to earth. Your will be done here as it is in heaven. That's very different because it's, it's not like we can make our own will as we want it, but we ask for God's will to be done. And we may not like it, but God's will will be done if we pray that. So that becomes very important to recognize. And then he says this, give us today or give us day by day our daily bread. Which brings me to this point. Jesus said to pray for our daily bread. We should live every day trusting in God's provision for our needs through his miraculous powers. God has amazing power. And on the United States dollar bill and the coins and everything else, it says in 
God we trust. The question is, do we? Our money reminds us of who God is. And it's like the, the forefathers put it on there to remind us we don't trust in the money, but we trust in God. Why would they put that on a monetary bill that we use to buy things? It is to remind us who God is. In God, we trust. Beloved, that's why we need to pay attention to that. It's not on cryptocurrency. It's not any, any other money in the world, but it is on the American money. Keep that in mind. So this is important. We trust God and we pray for our daily bread, not our 20 years bread, not our pension bread. We pray for our daily bread and God will fulfill. He will supply for us. It goes on, verse four. And forgive us our sins, for we have also forgiven everyone who has indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There is an evil one. Jesus said to ask God to forgive our sins and learn to forgive others. How we pray reflects who we really are. We should thoughtfully focus on how we pray to God. We need to pray, God, help me to forgive this person as I forgive others. Because everybody is in violation. We all live in sin. All of sin to come short of the glory of God. And beloved, we come to God and we pray to him. And we say, Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we've forgiven the others. Now, there's much more we could talk about here. But I just want to highlight these points because the, this, this is the prayer. When, when they said to Jesus Christ, teach us how to pray. Well, Jesus Christ gave them this prayer. They said for us, Lord, teach us how to pray. So people say to me, I don't know how to pray, right? I take them to the Matthew 6 or Luke 11 here and I say, pray. This is what the Lord said. Start there and God will speak to your heart. God will help you as we begin there. The Lord teaches us and shows us. Very important. Also, there's a lot of scripture we can pray because there's a lot of prayers in the Bible. But nevertheless, we need to keep that in mind. That is what the Lord told us to pray. And those words mean something to him. Let us pay attention to the Lord's prayer and not just as a, a reciting thing to say at Mass. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you clap and when you get excited, you are celebrating life. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ gave us life. But he promised that the Holy Spirit would be sent. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus pronounces a woe. He says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. And essentially, he's just saying that if the miracles that had happened uh, in, in Bethsaida and Chorazin had happened in other evil cities, they would have long since repented. Uh, so this is really a shame on those cities. And we know, we know actually quite a bit about Bethsaida specifically uh, from the Gospels, from, from just slight mentions in the Gospels. 
But Bethsaida has been quite the controversy to locate in the modern era, in modern days. So uh, take a look at this and let's see what we can learn about uh, modern day ancient Bethsaida. Despite being known from the Bible and from history, the precise location of the New Testament village of Bethsaida is still debated. The New Testament Gospels record that the apostles Peter, Andrew, and Philip were originally from Bethsaida, and that Jesus traveled there to preach and perform miracles. The first century historian Josephus records that the Tetrarch Philip, a son of Herod the Great who is also mentioned in the Bible, renovated Bethsaida in honor of the emperor's mother, gave it city status, and renamed it Julius around 30 AD. Josephus also records a battle fought near Bethsaida Julius that gives some geographical evidence to hopefully help place a good modern candidate for the city. It's known that Bethsaida was located on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, but like other villages and cities that you could sail to, it didn't have to be right on the shore, it could be a short hike away. According to several historical sources, Bethsaida also had a robust fishing industry and is believed to have been abandoned sometime around the 4th century. However, about two centuries later, Bethsaida again pops up in the accounts of Christian pilgrims traveling the Holy Land. So, by this Byzantine period, Christians at least thought they had re-identified Bethsaida. Today, there are two contenders for Bethsaida Julius, the longer-held site of Etel and El Araj that began to be excavated in 2014. Etel is currently one and a half miles away from the shore of the Sea of Galilee, but the lake has receded since the first century, and it has been estimated it could have been up to a mile closer, meaning Etel could have been half a mile from the lake shore. El Araj is much closer to the sea and in the first century would have been directly on the shoreline. Both sites are close enough to the Sea of Galilee to have been Bethsaida, and in both, fishing paraphernalia like hooks and net weights have been found in excavations. Both villages were inhabited in the first century and show evidence of Roman occupation, which may point to Philip's renovations. At Etel, a Roman temple was excavated that would have been expected in a city dedicated to the empire. At El Araj, a Roman bathhouse was excavated, showing it too had a Roman population and may evidence Philip's renovations. The excavators of Etel believe that the city was abandoned due to an earthquake in the early 4th century. And the excavators of El Araj have noted that they believe their city was also abandoned in the 3rd century, until it was re-inhabited in the Byzantine era. El Araj has also yielded a Byzantine era church and monastery, which is exciting due to the ancient Christian pilgrimage reports claiming that there was a church built over the place of Peter and Andrew's family home at Bethsaida. Lots we can learn from modern archaeology about the context here of the Gospels and about you know the, the hometowns of some of the disciples and, and what Jesus was talking about. So always really interesting to dig into some archaeology. Yeah, it really is. I, I look forward to that. And I, I saw recently a report on CBN News uh, about Shiloh. Oh yeah, lots going on. Some of the things on. going on there. ABR mm -hmm. is really involved. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's really exciting. Anyway, just want to mention quickly that uh, you can follow us and be and join us and meet with us on the 21st of October 
We are going to be at Faith Gospel Tabernacle in Brampton, Ontario, Canada. And uh, first time we've done this where we've come to you and we want to do this. We're looking forward to it. You can register on our website. It's from 1 till 5.30 in the afternoon. If you go to our website, you can register so we know how much coffee to make and all that. We're going to do presentations. We're going to do question and answer. There may be some Bible. Mm -hmm. I think so. Seriously. And so it's going to be a lot of fun and we'll, we'll look forward to meeting you there. So make yourself known. Very good. Uh, go to our website and make yourself available. Okay, Ryan. Okay, so as I mentioned off the top of the program, Jesus in Luke chapter 11 says that the only sign that that evil generation would be given, that he is the promised Messiah, is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And Jonah was a very interesting prophet who did have some similarities with Jesus, but it's also really important to realize that they also had a lot of differences, most notably their attitudes. Because while Jesus fully submitted himself to the will of God, Jonah ran from God's will, at least at first. And Jonah running from God is really what I want to focus on today, because there's something here that I don't want us to miss. As a matter of fact, when we pay very close attention to the wording used in the book of Jonah, we discover something very important. Check it out. Hi friends, I'm Ryan Hembry, and today I want to talk about the biblical prophet Jonah and his attempted escape from God. So grab your Bibles and let's go. Okay, so the book of Jonah, while it's very short and to the point, is both action-packed and full of important life lessons. It opens with these words. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah, for reasons he explains later, disobeys God's command by running away to Tarshish, which was in the completely opposite direction. He was running away from God. And notice the key words in this passage, because at every stage on his journey away from God, Jonah goes downward. The literal Hebrew says that he went down to the port of Joppa, then he went down to the ship, then he went down into the hold of the ship, where he fell into a deep sleep. So in a literal, metaphorical, and spiritual sense, Jonah went down as far as he could go. But he was about to be brought down even lower, because God sent a mighty storm that was so bad, Jonah ended up going overboard. And listen to the language Jonah uses to describe his descent into the deep. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. The water surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. So Jonah went down, down, down until he couldn't go down any further. This key word is a clue that the author is trying to teach us something through these very real events. And I think his point is crystal clear. And it's this, the more we separate ourselves from God, the giver and sustainer of life, the closer we get to death, both physical and spiritual. Notice that as Jonah descends closer and closer to physical death, Jonah pictures himself, his soul, as being imprisoned in Sheol, the realm of the dead. But when Jonah turns his life back over to God, God reverses Jonah's descent. 
In Jonah's own words, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. God rescued the repentant Jonah from death by way of a great fish. And just like Jonah, without God, we too are dead in the water. But when we turn to him, he saves us from death and raises us up by way of Jesus Christ. So one of the main lessons that we learn from the book of Jonah is that a life lived apart from God is a path to death because God is the giver and sustainer of life. And this is a very common theme throughout the Bible. But when we repent, humble ourselves and turn to God, he saves us from death through Jesus Christ. So believe on him and you will be saved. Now, this is interesting because God is the one, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach is the one who uh, is fully God and fully man. And I want to, to broadcast that so everybody knows that's what we believe. And uh, it's important that when you trust in the Lord to forgive you of your sins, then God looks at you and he sees Jesus Christ because he's Lord of your life and you are removed from the wrath of God. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's it really stunning. is stunning. Mm -hmm. The wrath of God is removed from you. Mm -hmm. uh, and the gospels say that, uh, Thessalonians says that, Paul says it to the church at Thessalonica, says that in several other places in the Bible. So we have to understand what God has done, Yeah, Jesus Christ. So it's very good. Thank that's you, right. Ryan. And that's really where our personal testimonies mm -hmm. come in. Right? Absolutely. Because that's something that no one can take away from you personally. Mm -hmm. Because God has touched your life. And that's, that's what makes this. It's not a religion. It's not a set of rules and regulations. It really is a life-transforming personal relationship that you can have mm -hmm. with the creator of the universe, which in of itself is quite mind-blowing mm -hmm. uh, to be able to comprehend everything. But that's really what we do as a family. It's what we are called to do, and that is to bring the authority of God's Word, which that's exactly what we mean when we talk about the Word of God, that we believe it is actually the authority mm -hmm. of God. It is, it is what God has written for us. And that is what we want to present so if you are just uh, surfing the channel or you happen to stumble upon us on the internet, we just want to welcome you and thank you for stopping and pausing to hear what we have to say and to consider, if you have never read the Bible before, to join with us. We do this every year. This is our 33rd year going through the Bible. And uh, every year we have new things that we can highlight, new things that God has been showing us um, and uh, we don't get everything right. We are not perfect, but we love the Lord. And we have each, each one of us in this family have been personally touched, um, healed and changed by the word of God. We're going to keep going through the Bible as long as we have energy and strength because the Bible is the living word of God. Yes. The 66 books written by the 40 authors, very, very important. The history of the Bible is important too. Genesis 1 through 11 is important. That's key. 
And so we believe that the Bible tells us the truth about the beginnings of time. So we need to keep this in mind and stay focused on what God is telling us, not get off on all these other stretches of everybody yeah. running around on. This. And you know what? The Bible is, isn't is always easy to read or mm-hmm. understand, but it's definitely worth it. I mean, when you when you look back at ancient Israel, that, they, that was part of their culture. They grew up with these stories and testimonies of God and how he worked and how he interacted with people. And the prophet Jeremiah talks to them when, where, when he's encouraging them, like when, when, because judgment was coming on them, but he said, you know, when you turn back to the Lord, look back to the signposts mm-hmm. that God has established for you, the way that you should go. And he meant to go back and look at their history. Well, like you may not have a history of a family going back generations that followed the Lord. But what's so cool is that God has given us the word. And he's, he's given us the Bible where we can look back and we can have those same signposts because they still point us to who God is and what his character is like. And the most amazing thing, and I can't explain it other than God is real, is that when you become a Christian and you follow Christ and the Holy Spirit comes into your life, God begins to give you moments that are signposts and he builds your testimony as you live. And there will be moments that you can't explain other than this is God. God has done this in my life. And if you remember those, they become your personal signposts. So we've been given the scripture that points us towards God. And then as you follow God in your own life, the Holy Spirit will give you new signposts of his faithfulness and of his reality to you. So that was, I just wanted to tack in that encouragement as well. So the question. The question. (laughs) We've got a minute and 25 seconds. Oh, we can do it. We can do it. For the question. All right. You ready? I could choose a question anywhere from Mark chapter 15 through to Luke chapter 12. Who asked Pilate for the body of Jesus and buried him in his own tomb? Who asked Pilate for the body of Jesus and buried him in his own tomb? Was it number one, Simon of Cyrene? Was it two, Joseph of Arimathea? Or was it three, Lazarus of Bethany? Number one, Simon of Cyrene. Number two, Joseph of Arimathea. Number three, Lazarus of Bethany. Who asked Pilate for the body of Jesus and buried him in his tomb? It's Joseph all the way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the other men were definitely involved in Jesus's life and especially Simon of Cyrene in the crucifixion, but definitely Joseph of Arimathea for the burial. Mm -hmm. Well, they seem very, very confident. And if you, like Ryan and Corey, have chosen Joseph of Arimathea, you are absolutely right. Good for you. You can find that in Mark chapter 15. It's basically all the way through 42 through to 46. You can read that. Um, But here, look, verse 43, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. October 21st is the time when we're going to be live, we're going to have something to, to say, but we're going to meet you and look forward to doing so from 1 till 530 at Faith Gospel Tabernacle in Brampton, Ontario, 
Canada. And if you're in the New York area, you can come up and all that stuff. So we just want this, our first live event, and we want you to be there. Go to our website and register. Today, let's pray, Lord, I desire your will to be done on earth as it is done in heaven. In Jesus' name, 